Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's open the Word of God to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, we're going to look at several verses, and uh, I'm going to read one verse with you all, then I'll, uh, I'll let you be seated while we walk through the Scriptures and look at some others today, all right? Our text verse will be here in Acts chapter 1, <clears throat> and we'll have prayer, we'll read just the one verse, and then we'll get into the message. Acts chapter 1, once you find your place, if you would stand with us for the reading of God's Word. We'll have prayer first, and then please remain standing. We'll read this verse together and then get into the message. Let's pray. Father, how we love you today. Once again, we want to say thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for the Word of God, Lord, which gives us guidance and direction, meaning and purpose in this life and in our church. We're so thankful, Lord, for the things that you've revealed to us and taught us through your word. And so we do, as we come to the word of God, we, we ask you, Lord, to teach us once again. We pray by your spirit, dear Lord, that you'll make the word of God personal and plain to us. We pray you just reveal to us, Lord, what you'd have us do. Show us your will today and your word and help us to understand it and then to obey it that we may observe to do all according to the things that are written in your word. Joshua 1.8 says that's when we're going to have good success. And so, Lord, we look to you today with eager anticipation for all that you have for us. And we just invite you now to work in our midst, in our presence. Speak to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 1, look with me if you would at verse number 8. Jesus is speaking. If you have a red letter edition Bible, these words are in red. As Jesus tells the disciples just before he is ascended back up into heaven, the Bible says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So these were Jesus' last words on earth. Notice what he said in verse 8. He said, And ye shall be witnesses unto me. Thank you so much. You may be seated. I want to preach a message today that I've entitled simply this, Why Witness? Why Witness? For someone who came and lived such a life, why witness? They said of Jesus, never a man spake like this man. All over the places he went, the Bible says, and sitting down, they watched him there. It says, and they remembered his words. Jesus, who died and then rose again in resurrection power, he needs witnesses. That's what he said. And ye shall be witnesses unto me. Notice he said, he didn't say, ye shall go witnessing. But, but that's one way of doing it. He said, ye shall be witnesses. You know, a witness, they just tell what they know. They tell what they've seen and heard. Just like the apostles when they were being persecuted for preaching the word of God, they just said, we cannot help but speak the things that we've seen and heard. They were just being a witness. You know, that's what God wants you and I to do. He wants us to be witnesses for him. 
Why witness? Well, we're seeing several things here. I want you to look with me, if you would, at Matthew 28. This is the end of the gospel according to Matthew. And we have these words written that we refer to as the Great Commission. The big task that God gave to the church. This is it. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus said, the Bible says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. You know, we often equate these verses with missions. And we should. Because we know that he said to teach all nations. And missions is a worldwide effort, isn't it? And there are three parts to missions. In verse 19, he said, go ye and teach. That's part number one. That's the, that's the witnessing we're talking about. That's, that's giving the gospel teaching people that they're lost and that they need Jesus Christ as their Savior. You know, not everybody knows that. A lot of people think they're pretty good, and and they have good hopes of making it to heaven on that. They have no idea that they're not even close. We have to teach them what the Bible says so that they can understand and receive Christ as their Savior before it's too late, before they get there on false hopes, thinking they're going to make it, and they're not. Number two, the Bible says baptizing them. That's the second part of the Great Commission. That's why we baptize as a church. That's why our missionaries, uh, when they have a new believer, they baptize them. The Bible tells us to do that. That's identifying with Jesus Christ by his death, burial, and resurrection. And then verse 20 tells us about the third and the forgotten part of the Great Commission, and that is teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Not some things, not just first things. Not doctrinal things, but all things. All things whatsoever I have commanded you. So there's three parts of the Great Commission. That's it. And God gave that challenge to us, that responsibility to us as a church. Notice, let's go over to Mark and look at the gospel according to Mark. Mark 16, just one verse there, verse 15. Mark 16 And verse 15, and he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Here he says, Go into all the world. In Matthew, he says, Go into all nations. In Acts chapter 1, he said, Beginning in Jerusalem. So, you know, really, our missions program is out of balance if it doesn't start at home and include all three of these efforts of ministry salvation, baptism, and discipleship. Right? We want to be strong on all three. Look at one more verse with me. Look back at Matthew chapter 4. When Jesus originally called the disciples, he had the end in mind at the very beginning. In Matthew 4, when Jesus was gathering his disciples up, he knew that one day he was going to leave them with the responsibility to witness and to win the world to Christ. As a matter of fact, he said this in Matthew chapter 4. Look with me in verse 19. And he said unto them, follow me, and I will make you, what? Fishers of men. Fishers of men. You know, before that time, they had never never associated fishing with catching people. (laughs) But that's exactly what Jesus said. I'm going to teach you how to do this. I'm going to turn you into fishers of men. 
Why? Because that's what ministry does. It gathers people. It gathers people around the Lord Jesus Christ. It gathers people around the Word of God. It gathers people into a a family of faith and a fellowship that we call the church. It's a wonderful thing. Jesus had the end in mind at the very beginning, and he let them know exactly where he was going so they could follow him. Why witness? Well, if you're taking notes, I want to give you right off the bat the first reason. Why, Why do we witness? Number one, because our Lord commands it. All of these verses, in a different way, reiterates the command that Jesus gave to us as believers and and as members of a local church, the command to witness and to preach the gospel and to teach folks that they need the Lord as their Savior. You know, that's not just the pastor's job. It's not just the shepherd's committee job. It's not just the missionary's job or the evangelist. It's every believer's responsibility to be a witness, to spread the word, to preach the gospel. You know, the word preach really just means proclaim. And often the Lord used that term, preach the gospel. He didn't intend for you to get up and gather an audience like this and stand behind a pulpit. He just meant in your daily life that God wanted you to proclaim the word of God, tell others about Jesus and how they need him as their savior. So you've noticed each week in the bulletin, we put a a different version of the gospel inside your bulletin. What are we doing? As a local New Testament church, we're partnering with you and we're helping you to to fulfill the obligation that Christ put on you as a believer to give the gospel to other people. How do you do that? One of the easiest ways to give the gospel to somebody is to hand them a gospel tract. How easy is that? We can all do that. There are more in the back and I I would hope that you would give more than one each week, but take several with you. Pass them out. Even leave them at places. You know what? If there's not a real live person available, you can actually just leave that somewhere and let someone find it. And they often will and pick that up. And hey, what is this? You know, everybody likes a good comic book. And these are written in comic book style, but they give the word of God and the gospel. They help people understand what sin's all about and that there's a judgment coming. And it's a great way to witness. You don't have to do it this way. You can get a Bible under your arm. You can go preach on the street. You, 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 there's a lot of ways, right? You could teach a Sunday school class. You could, uh, you could, uh, you could invite people over. You can have a uh, spiritual birthday party at your home and tell them about the time that Jesus saved you, your second birth, right? There's a lot of ways you could give the gospel to people. As long as you are doing it, right? Because God wants us to witness. Why witness? Because our Lord commands it. As Christians, we're all commanded to be a witness. Witnessing is not a gift. It's not an ability. It's a command. It's an expectation. The Lord said, ye shall be witnesses unto me. He didn't take numbers or nominate someone. All of them were equally responsible responsible to do that. And so we understand that witnessing is is not really a calling. It's, It's more of a command. It's something God wants us to do. This command has been given to us, uh, all of us who are saved, and it's been repeated over and over in the scriptures in many different forms. Our Lord left this command in his word for us to read and obey, and Christ expects us to follow through because there are many reasons. I think there's like over 7 billion now in the world. 
That's enough reasons, right? Boy, we got, a, we got our work cut out for us. Why witness? Number one, because God commands it. Our Lord commands that we witness. Number two, guess why we witness? Why do we, why do we get the gospel out? By the way, in Sunday school, we were talking about our, our church, and we said a church is different than any other organization in town. You know why? Because this is what we do. We give the gospel, right? We have the information that's able to transform someone's life and their heart. It's the saving grace of Jesus Christ. That's our product. Hey, we got something better than Coca-Cola, amen? Now, they may market theirs better than we have, right? We need to get better at telling people about it. Why? Well, our Lord commands it, number two, because according to the Bible, the condition of man demands that we tell them about Christ, that we be a witness. The condition of man demands it. Let me show you what I mean. Take your Bibles, if you would, and go to the book of Romans and look at chapter 3. Romans, if you're a theologian, if you like theology, Romans is the book of the Bible that concentrates on the subject of salvation. It is a doctrinal book. So if we were going to go anywhere to answer questions about salvation, guess what? It would be this book right here. So there are several verses that people usually use out of the book of Romans to help someone understand salvation, and they, and they should. Now, you don't have to stay in the book of Romans. There's verses all over the Bible, right? But Romans is just a good place to stop and show people about their need of the Lord. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans that the reason mankind needs to be saved is because of our sin. It's not just Adam and Eve that sinned in the garden. All of us have sinned. Notice what the Bible says. If you're in Romans chapter 3, go to verse 23. Notice what it says. It says, for all have what? Sin and come short of the glory of God. You, you know what? There's, there's one truth about being short, and that is you missed. And it doesn't matter if you missed by an inch or you missed by a mile. You still missed. And some people think they're better than others and all that, and really it doesn't matter because you still miss. If you miss the mark and you're not going to make it to heaven on how good you are, then all that really doesn't matter, does it? Because the Bible says all have sinned. And because of that sin, we fall way short of the glory of God. That means we'll never make it to heaven on our own. And you know what? There's a lot of people that don't know that. They think they're going to pile up a heap of good works, and when they get to heaven, there's going to be some kind of balance scales, and they're going to kick that pile onto the scale, and they're hoping the good's going to outweigh the bad, and there's going to be a buzzer somewhere. Bing! And they're going to get in heaven that way. Well, I'm sorry. Uh, there's no scale in heaven. Amen. <laughs> there's no scales in heaven. There's no buzzer in heaven. There's no door number two, okay? The Bible tells us how it's going to work. There's more than one judgment in heaven. And according to how you've lived your life and what you did with Jesus Christ, that's going to determine which judgment you appear at. And once you appear at that judgment, the conclusion is already established. The verdict's already been given. There is no trial there is no weighing out the facts. The facts are already written. God already knows who you are. He knows what you've done. 
And the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. With that information, we understand the Bible condemns us as sinners. It puts us in need of a Savior. It means that we cannot get to heaven on our own anymore. There's no more hope for that. If you could get to heaven by being good somehow, then Jesus would not have had to die on the cross. But he did die. And that is proof to us that there was no other way. That's why he died on the cross, so that he could make the payment that we could not uh, pay. Notice what the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9. Jeremiah 17, 9, you can just write that reference down. The Bible says the heart of man is deceitful and desperately wicked. It says who can know it? You know, there are things that we don't want to admit about ourselves. The Bible tells us like looking in a mirror. It just tells us the truth. Our hearts are desperately wicked. If you don't believe that, get the newspaper out. Read the headlines. See what people are doing. I don't know about you, but you don't even have to buy a newspaper. If you've got a phone that gets alerts, the news, hey, they just flash it right over your phone. Three dead, homicide. Whew. That was yesterday. Now you may be reading that thinking, oh, preacher, no, oh, not, not me. Oh, no, oh, no. Well, but by the grace of God, it could be you. You see, the truth is, as human beings, we're all capable of that kind of stuff. It's It's sin. It's in our nature. And you don't know what you would do until you get pushed so far. Right? Who knows? God knows. That's why he told us in his word, our heart's deceitful and it's wicked. And there's all kind of wicked, vile, evil things that we would resort to if we ever found ourselves in those same circumstances. Who knows? But the truth is, it doesn't matter that you do the exact same thing as someone else. That's not the point. The point is, we're all equally guilty of sin. And because we're guilty of sin, we're in the same condition. We're under condemnation. The Bible says the condition of man requires that we, that we witness. We have to tell them the truth so that they understand they need Jesus. This isn't just a, you know, that's for somebody else kind of thing. No, it's for everyone. The Bible tells us that man is not only corrupt, but he has a sinful nature. Notice in Romans 5, 12, we're in the book of Romans. Turn over to chapter 5 and look at verse 12. The Bible says in verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You see, we can't just look back at Adam and Eve and blame it all on them and say, well, if they hadn't just eaten the fruit in the garden, we'd all be okay. No, 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 no. Look, that, that might be where it started. But we finished it. Adam and Eve sinned, but guess what? We have sinned. There was a time in all of our lives when we knew the difference between right and wrong, and we did wrong anyway. Hey, you can't blame that on Adam and Eve. That's your fault. That's your sin. By the way, what you did, I guarantee what you did was worse than what they did. You know what Adam's sin was? He ate a piece of fruit. Come on now. Let's quit acting like Adam and Eve were worse than us. Their sin was they ate fruit. But our sin? Oh. Our sin was 
worse than that. Was it not? And the Word of God tells us that we have a sinful nature that was passed down to us, right? But then we acted on it on our own. It's not all their fault. We have our own corruption. And because of that, the Bible says we have our own condemnation. Notice with me, let's turn there. John chapter 3. We, we know verse 16 about the love of God. But notice with me verse 36. John chapter 3 verse 36. The Bible says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Look at that word abideth. What does that mean? It means to remain. Here's what, here's what people who are out of church, lost people, we would call them lost. They're without Christ. They've never been saved. You know what they don't know? They don't know that the wrath of God is on them already. It's already there. They just haven't died and went to judgment yet. But if they die and go to judgment with the wrath of God abiding on them, well, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know where they're going. And so they don't understand that what interrupts the process is Jesus coming into their life. When they receive Christ as their Savior, the wrath of God then is lifted off of them. The punishment of sin is placed on the cross and it's lifted off of them. And because of that, God forgives and there's freedom. When God forgives sin, he doesn't just blink and act like it didn't happen. Sin has to be paid for. And the only way your sin can be paid for is if you accept the payment Jesus made on the cross. When you do that, God applies that payment to your account. And that's why the wrath of God then is lifted from you. Because your debt's paid in full. But the Bible says the wrath of God is already there. Let me show you what I mean. Let's back up, same chapter, let's back up to verse 18. Right? As a matter of fact, let's go to verse 16. We're going to read all this. Look at look what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not, what? Perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Saved from what? Saved from condemnation. Saved from perishing. Because they were already going to perish. Until he came. He came to provide a way of escape. Notice what verse 18 says. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Wait a minute. He hadn't died and gone to heaven yet. Wait a minute. He hasn't been judged yet. But the Bible says he's condemned already. Why? Because he's in sin. Because of his condition. And God understands what we don't until we learn his word. God understands that if they die in that condition, they're already condemned in the judgment. So notice what the last part says. Because, why is he condemned already? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Because he has not accepted the only relief, the only thing that removes condemnation, the blood of Jesus Christ. He has not accepted that. So until a person accepts Christ as their Savior, at any moment, if they ever were to die, they're going straight to hell. That's what the Bible says. And they're going because of who they are, because they're sinners, because they're guilty. And God has already placed condemnation 
on sin. Hey, folks, that means we got a big job ahead of us. It's our job to tell them the truth. It's our job to take the Bible and show them, look, it's not about how good you can be. It's not about what church you go to. It's not about where your membership is. It's not about any of that. It's about your guilt and the payment Christ made on the cross. It's about what have you done with that? If you've never received the payment Christ made for you, there is no other payment God will accept. So if you're trying to do it some other way, you're going to end up in hell. That's why Jesus said, the one that tries to come in the door or come in the window, you know, another way, the same as a thief and a robber, you're trying to cheat the system. God has a system of salvation. He wrote about it in his book. He's inviting you to come. And when you ignore that and try to climb in a window, <laughs> what do you do to people climbing your window in the middle of the night? You think God's going to roll out the welcome mat? I don't think so. But God will roll out the welcome mat to you if you come through the door, through Jesus Christ, the one who welcomes you in, the one who died in your place, the one who made the payment that needs now to be applied to your life. Wow. So you know all of us need now to learn these verses and how to explain them to somebody who needs the Lord. Because God gave us a big job to witness to others. Our Lord commands it. The condition of man demands it. Hey, they're condemned already and they just don't know it. Everybody needs Jesus. This room should be packed out today. People should be seeking him. But they're not. And the reason they're not is because they haven't been taught. They don't know how bad it is. They don't know how hopeless they are without Christ. It's our job to tell them. Why witness? I'm going to give you reason number three. Because the reality of hell compels us to tell them. You remember the story of Lazarus and the rich man? And what did the rich man do? He cried out from hell and he said, Father Abraham! Right? Have mercy on me! Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. He said, for I am tormented in this flame. Man, if you, don't, if you don't believe hell's real, you ain't read the Bible. Why would he be crying out in torment if hell wasn't real? The reality of hell compels us to tell people. Hey, I don't know about you. I don't want nobody to go there. I'm, I'm being honest. I, I wouldn't want my worst enemy to end up in hell. That's forever, man. You don't get out of there. Read that same story about Lazarus and the rich man. Remember what Abraham told him? No. He said, that can't happen because once you get where you're going, that's it. He said, there's a great gulf fixed so that they that would leave here and go pass on to you, they cannot. And the ones over there that would like to come over and be with us, they cannot. You see, a lot of people don't even know that. Once you get where you're going in eternity... That's it. There's no hope of changing places. I don't know who came up with that idea, but it didn't come out of the Bible. The Bible says the results are permanent. That's it. 
That's why it's so important that we tell people before they get there, they have to make a decision before they die. People say, well, hey, when I die and get to heaven, then I'll believe all this is true. It'll be too late then. That's why Jesus said, blessed are them who believe and they don't see. Remember he was talking to Thomas, doubting Thomas, right? Thomas said, hey, when I, when I see his prince, that's when I'm going to believe. There's a lot of people like that. So Jesus showed up and said, okay, Thomas, you wanted to see? Here it is. Touch me. Oh, he fell to his knees. My Lord. He said, okay, Thomas, now you believe that you've seen me? He said, but blessed are those who have not seen yet believe. Right? And we have to have the kind of faith, and they have to have the kind of faith that's willing to believe without seeing because God's not coming to give them a chance like he did Thomas. That time is over. The next time he comes, it'll be too late for all that. So we have, it's urgent. We have to tell people about the Lord. We have to tell them they're lost because the reality of hell compels us to do that. Let's look at the Bible, Matthew chapter 7. The Gospels tell us a lot. And by the way, the preaching of the Lord Jesus tells us a lot about hell. Did you know Jesus preached more about hell than he did heaven? Why do you think? Because it's such an urgent reality. We have to know that there really is a place like that. And he doesn't want you to go there. Matthew chapter 7, look at verse 21. The Bible says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father. Many will say unto me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have cast out devils. Have we not done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you you that work iniquity. Right? Notice what he said. I want to clarify something. He said, not everyone that saith unto me, verse 21, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father. What is the will of the Father? Jesus gave us the answer to that in another scripture. He said, the will of my Father is to believe on him whom he hath sent. That's Jesus. So when he said the ones that are going to heaven are the ones that do the will of my father, he's not talking about a life of good works. He's talking about having faith in Jesus Christ. He's talking about obeying the gospel message. That's the will of God that people hear the gospel and put their faith and trust in Jesus and be saved by the grace of God. That's the will of God. And that's what he's referring to here. It's not just people who are religious, but it's people who put their trust in Christ and they're saved. He said, those are the ones that are going to heaven. Well, hell is a place of banishment, away from the presence of God. That's a bad thing, isn't it? That's why he said, depart from me. I never knew you. He didn't say, I knew you once and then, no. He said, I never knew you. Who are you? You see, listen, that reveals something to us that the world doesn't know. And that is this. Not everybody is a child of God. Now, people like to preach that universal doctrine out there. We are all God's creation, but we're not all God's children. In John chapter 8, Jesus looked at some religious people. We would say church-going people, the Pharisees, and he said, ye are of your father the devil. Whoa! You mean there can be people in church whose father's the devil? Absolutely, that's what he said. They were not children of God. 
You become a child of God by putting your faith and trust in Jesus. That's the only way. Let me show you a couple other verses. Hell is not even a place of banishment from the Lord's presence. Hell is a place of burning. There's really fire there. Notice uh, Mark chapter 9. Now there's always the story of Lazarus and the rich man, so I'm not reading that one because most of you know that. But let's go to some other verses here that you may not know. Mark chapter 9 is another place that reveals to us that hell is a place of fire. Mark chapter 9, verse 43, he said, And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell into the fire that never shall be quenched. That's pretty bad, isn't it? Fire that never shall be quenched. Look at the next verse, verse 44. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Look at verse 45. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It's better for thee to enter into life uh, than to having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Look at verse 46. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Hell is a place of burning throughout all eternity. Hey, that's bad news. This is real punishment. Hey, look, do I like that? Absolutely not. And I have a good suspicion that God knows that nobody would like that. That's why he warns us about this place. People say, how could a loving God send people there? He doesn't. You send yourself by not accepting the gift of God, which is salvation. God packaged salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross, paid our sin debt, and then he offered the payment to us free. You can't get any easier than that. Then God wrote a book to tell us all about it. And then he sent messengers everywhere, all throughout the world, to preach that message so that everyone would know. So if you hear the gospel and you don't do anything about it, that's not God sending you there. Quit blaming him. You're sending yourself there because you refuse to get the problem taken care of. You refuse to deal with your sin. You refuse to accept the only thing that will save you. And that is the person of Jesus Christ. It's not God's fault. God doesn't send people to hell. They go to hell of their own choosing because they don't accept Jesus as their Savior. Look at one more verse. Let's go to the last book of the Bible. We could be here all day looking at verses about this. There's so much in the Bible. But I want to show you one more. Revelation 21 and verse 8. Revelation 21 and verse 8. It says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters. Whoa, man, some bad people, right? And all liars. Look, it's not the size of your sin that sends you to hell. It's just the presence of your sin. How many things you got to steal to be a thief? Just one. You steal one car, you're a thief, right? 
How many lies you got to tell to be a liar? Just one. How many sins you got to commit to be a sinner? Just one. That's why the Bible says about the commandments, if you offend in one point, you're guilty of all. Just one. You know what that means, right? That means we all need Jesus. That means there's nobody better off than anybody else. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all have the same need of a Savior. Your sin may be a different kind than mine or someone else's, but you still need to be saved from it just like I do, just like they do. And you know what that should do? That should put compassion in our hearts for those who have sinned so that we would desire to go and help them understand why they need Jesus as their Savior. This is why. It's not the size of your sin. If you've sinned at all, notice he said all these people, and then he says all liars. Notice, what about this group of sinners? It says, shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is what? The second death. Here's something interesting. There's a lot of things in the Bible that you don't understand if you just casually read it. I guess God wanted us to, to dig a little. If we want to get deep understanding of the Bible, you have to dig, you've got to study. And when you do a little studying, you find this out. God thinks differently about death than we do. You see, because we understand that you're born and you live a life, right? And then you die. And, and to us, when you die, that, that's it. Put you in the ground, it's over. Now, because we've been to church, we've read the Bible, we know somewhere in there, we've got a soul in there. And somehow that soul goes to heaven if you're saved. But we don't see that. We don't know that. We don't understand that, except that God told us that's how it works. On the other hand, God's looking at death from a little different perspective. God defines death as a separation. In God's mind, on the inside is the real you, and what we see is just the shell. And you know how it is. If you like nuts, you know you got to crack the shell to get the nut out. <laughs> right? So guess what? When death happens, the nut is released. That's you. There's a separation. The shell gets planted in the ground. Right? But what's inside, if you're saved, goes to God. That's why the Bible says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. It's a homecoming because in, on, on heaven's side, they get to welcome you home. There's a big celebration, right? It's, it's, it's good because then you're, you're, you're reunited and your faith becomes sight and you get to see the Lord. It's all wonderful. We're on this side and we don't get to see all of that. So we think everything stops at the grave, but it doesn't. The grave is a separation. So if you're saved, your body and soul separate, your body gets buried, your soul goes to God. If you're not saved, the Bible says there's a second death for you. The first death, the first separation is when your body and soul separate. But there's a second death for those who are without Christ. It's another separation. It's when the soul is separated from the presence of God 
banished forever in hell. That's what that verse means. The second death. Revelation 21.8 says, All these sinners shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death, the second separation. They're going to be banished from God forever. Wow. That's terrible. Bible students say it like this. If you're born only once, then you're going to die twice. Second death. But before you die, if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, we call that being born again. So if you're born twice, then you die only once, and you get to go be with Jesus. Isn't that good? Let's help people have a second birthday. Let's help them accept Christ as their Savior. Why witness? Our Lord commands it. The condition of man demands that we witness. The reality of hell compels us to witness. But guess what? The love of God constrains us to witness. That's why John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Right? Why would Jesus suffer such gruesome agony and die on a cross? Why would he do that? Because he loves us that much that he would die on a cross so that you, so that I, so that they could be saved, forgiven of their sins and have a place in heaven with him. Because just what God wanted with the disciples, remember in John 17, the real Lord's prayer when he prayed to the Father and what did he ask about the disciples? He said, Lord, I'm willing that where I am that they be with me where I am. And you know what? One day God wants you in his presence. One day God wants them in his presence. But the only way for that to happen was for Jesus to offer himself as the payment for sin, the payment that God the Father would accept. Right? That's who the payment was being made to. When you sinned, you offended God. Not me. Not this church. Not some guy on the highway. You offended a righteous, holy God. He is the one who determined what that payment had to be in order for forgiveness to happen. The Old Testament of the Bible is full of explaining that. That's why they had the sacrificial system with the lambs and all of that stuff. God was illustrating how salvation works. Look what it takes to forgive sin. This is a big deal. So Jesus died on the cross. It's a big deal for God so loved the world. When Jesus was anticipating what was about to happen, he was praying in the garden of Gethsemane. The son of God began to sweat drops of blood. Thinking about what was going to happen on the cross. What made him do that? You know, if you read in medical journals, you'll find... The only time that can happen is when the body is overwhelmed with stress. You just think you've been stressed. You ever sweat blood? I didn't even know a body would do that until I read about it in the Bible. And then I wondered why. I heard that, so I went looking for answers. And yes, 
It's medically possible. It's scientifically possible for your body to produce sweat droplets of blood. But do you know what kind of severe pressure, stress you'd have to be under for that to happen? It's unheard of. But it happened to him. He did that for us. Just in case you're thinking, yeah, but he was the son of God, so he didn't feel it on the cross. I know a Bible you're reading. Not only did he feel it just as we would, but he knew in advance what he was going to feel, and that's what produced that sweating of blood. Just thinking about what he was about to encounter, the love of God constrains us to witness. And then I want you to understand the gospel message requires it. Let me show you what I mean. Last verse, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Notice in verse 12. The Bible says, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He didn't say we should be saved, we could be saved. He said we must. Isn't that what Jesus told Nicodemus? He said you must be born again. Well, he got right to the point when Nicodemus came to talk to him, didn't he? Nicodemus was religious but lost. He had never accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And that's the message we have to take to people. Look, it's not good enough just to go to church. That's not going to help you. It's not going to get you to heaven. It's not good enough to be baptized. It's not good enough to live a clean life. Listen, this is why living right is not enough. The Bible says you must be born again. You must. Not should, could, but must. Not might, not maybe, must. You must be born again. It says in this verse, whereby we must be saved. Hey, I want you to know there is something to be saved from sin and the penalty of sin, which is hell, the punishment for sin. We must be saved from that before it's too late. The decision has to be made before you die. You can't wait to see if it's all true and then say, okay, Lord, now I'm ready to get saved. It's too late. Once you die, it's like dominoes. Once you die, everything else is established. It's already set. You're, you're, you're on a conveyor belt to the second death if you die without Christ. And there is no stop in between. But if you die with Christ, you're on your way to heaven. And there's no stop in between. That's why Paul said, hey, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul said, hey, I'm, I'm actually, I'm torn between the two. He said, you know, I, I'd love to go to heaven. He said, but I, I know I need to stay here and help you all. Now look, Paul wasn't speaking like us. We think about heaven. Oh yeah, that'd be great. But Paul had been there. He had seen it. When he said, I'd like to go, I mean, he, was, he meant like right now, I'm ready. He wasn't joking. That wasn't just an expression. He was saying, it'd be all right with me if I went like 
right now. But he said, because of my heart for you and ministry, I, I know how needful it is for me to be here to stay. There's so much work to be done. And, you know, you and I can sit here in church today and we can think about the grace of God and the beauty of heaven. But it'd be selfish of us to want to go on the next load and not look around and see who needs to go with us. Who do we need to tell? Who have we not told? Oh, listen, that's why Jesus, when he was leaving and going back to heaven, that's why he looked at his disciples and said, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. Why? Because Jews and Gentiles alike, Christians and non-believers, look, we, we, we all needed Jesus. Now that you have him, turn around and share him with somebody else. Make it your mission. Make it your purpose. Don't be deterred. Make sure at least that they have an opportunity to go. Hey, man, here's your ticket. You should try that on somebody. Hey, here's your ticket to heaven. And just leave it with them. See what they say. What are they going to do with that? What? I'd be wanting to find out about that, wouldn't you? Amen? There's a lot of creative ways to witness. Let's use some. Let's be the witnesses God called us, commanded us, expects us to be. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, how we love you today and how we thank you for the goodness of God. Lord, your gentleness has truly made us great. We thank you for loving us, for dying on the cross for us. We thank you for saving us. And today, Lord, we're thanking you for the opportunity that we have to share that with others. And we just want to stop today and ask you to help us. Help us to do that. Help us be aware of the opportunities that we have each day. Help us, Lord, to, to take advantage of those opportunities. Help us to be prepared. May we be intentional about telling others about Christ, inviting them to church and all of that. And Lord, we pray you'd use us to help others come to you so they can be saved too. In Jesus' name we ask.